So, May. Yeah? I got really good advice from a dead Nobel Prize winner recently. Oh, yeah? What was that? So, if you're having a problem, Mm -hmm. you know what you should do? What? Take a nap. Oh, I'm so down with this. Hello and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm May Prince and I'm here with Katie McKissick, also known as Beatrice the Biologist. Hi, everyone. And uh, today, who, who are we talking about? Well, his name is Santiago Ramon y Cajal. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's quite a name. Sorry, I'm really committed to that. <laughs> uh, we're just going to call him Santiago, though. <laughs> I've, I've never heard of him. I hadn't either. Yeah. So it was really interesting finding out who this person was and, and what he did and why we should know who he is. All right. But before we get into the life of Santiago, I believe that you have something cool to tell me. Yeah, so I think you know about this already, but uh, I it was kind of new to me. I'd seen you done a comic about it before, and so it kind of sounded familiar, but I didn't know all the details. So anyway, um, I found out about horizontal gene transfer, which is this thing that bacteria do a lot, which is, you know, usually the way that you get all of your genes is from your parents. So whatever they have, you're kind of limited to that set of genes, that mix. For now. Until For now. They... <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's like, you know, the regular kind of mutations and stuff that, random stuff that happens right. naturally. Those are just yours. Yes. Right. Maybe those, your own. those are just ours. <laughs> and then you pass whatever you have on to the next generation, your kids. Right. But bacteria do this thing where they share genes, like little gifts to each other, like little pieces of DNA. And it's really interesting because they not only, they just like break off a piece of DNA and like, here you go, I got you a gift. Yeah, that's what makes them so annoying. (laughs) Well, it allows them to adapt at incredible speeds. Mm -hmm. And which is why, you know, we get super bugs and and diseases or whatever that seemed like they were dormant and not Yeah, it only takes one of them to figure it out and then tell everybody. And it's it's like gossip. Yeah, so I didn't realize that they could even get those genes from like dead bacteria. Like you just see your friend lying dead on the ground and you're like going through his pockets and taking all of his stuff. Like that's basically what that's they're totally doing. That's totally normal behavior. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, the rules in well, bacteria it's society video game are behavior. Have you ever played one of those games where it's like, oh hey, this person? Let's just go through oh, all of their stuff. Person. Oh look, they had a med kit on them. <laughs> Lucky me. Extra life points. Nice. They were using them um so yeah so I, I was reading about this and what's interesting is that because bacteria do this and we have bacteria in our stomachs they found one of the instances of this so, so they discovered this hgt it's called for short in kind of the 1920s and they developed their knowledge of it over the next 20 years so through the 40s they were kind of figuring out how this happens and why um but the thing that they also discovered was in looking at the microbiomes, which is, you know, the bacteria in your stomach of people in Japan, they found these genes that were only present in like marine animals or marine life. And they were like, what is happening? Like, how, how did this happen? Are they mermaids? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> what, do you spend a lot of time in the ocean? <laughs> that would have been my conclusion. You know, it's like either aliens or mermaids. Um, but what they found out was that it was because for basically 1300 years, Japanese people have been eating fresh seaweed out of the ocean and the seaweed had the bacteria on them. And because they were ingesting it raw, the bacteria kind of made a little home in their in their microbiomes, and it made them more adaptable and more uh, able to digest the seaweed. So they just have 
all of these bacteria that originated in the sea and it, they incorporate it into their microbiome to the point where those genes are now being passed on, not just horizontally from bacteria to bacteria, but vertically to their children. So they found that these bacteria exist in the microbiomes of infants who have never eaten solid foods. Because they got it from their mamas. Exactly. Yeah. So it's That's crazy. Trippy. Yeah. Um, it's like it's just an extension of the you are what you eat kind of thing because of yeah. course your body is just you know that's you're, that's the only place you're getting all that those atoms and all that matter is what you eat it's yeah. that's what your body's made of but yeah you're also the microbes that you eat <laughs> i mean microbes are pretty cool but i honestly would want different genes like <laughs> I mean, like it's like oh i really like how strong your arms are and yeah. muscly i'll take those <sighs> yeah but yeah, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. I, I mean, just from eating seaweed. And I, I don't think it's really that gene transfer in, in Japanese populations, at least, isn't really happening anymore because the seaweed called, you know, nori, they actually bake it now. And, oh, yeah. It's and dry. everything. And it's dried out. Yeah. So all the bacteria is gone. But back in the day, when you're eating raw stuff right out of the ocean, like your body was going to adapt to that. The good old days. The good, You know, the good old days when we we're just eating raw seaweed. Yeah. I mean, just you pluck it out of the water things. and you stick it in your mouth. Man, no, the kidding. first person to cook some meat, that guy, that guy was a king, right? You know, I was thinking about that the other day. I was eating potato chips and I was like, <laughs> man, the first person who thinly sliced a potato and heated up a bunch of oil and threw them in, did they have any idea what they had just done? They, I mean, what magic was in store? Gods among men. Yeah. What, what a, what a big moment in history it was. Did they have any sense of that? I really wonder. I mean, I hope so. I hope they appreciated it. I think that a lot much. about food because yeah. whenever there's a, a, I don't know, even something simple like just a you know fried potato, it's like some, there had to be a first person that did this. It I, must have been so exciting. I always think that when I see a lobster, I'm like, who is the first <laughs> desperate person to look at that thing and be like, well, I'm going to eat this. Yeah, that underwater spider is definitely <laughs> <Sure looks> tasty. <laughs> yeah, that was a person who was tired of eating Rossi or even shellfish. I mean, that stuff does not look yeah. good. No, it's not, and really, it's not. It's no. not good. And it's, also, it's I mean, like it a takes a bit of, of work. Yes. You know, they if they're alive they're closed very tightly you you know they don't want you to yeah. <laughs> to eat them so you only if you cook them a certain way are they going to open up so you can get all that good stuff I out i mean so. if i spend mm. that much time prying open a closed box there better be like a ham sandwich in there yeah you know not some slimy booger monster seriously <sighs> but yeah but otters you know they they crack them open they that's true <laughs> They're so smart. I love and cute. those videos. They're, they're the best evolution has to offer. I've often thought this. Yeah. What are, why are we even trying? <laughs> they won. Ugh. They win evolution. We should all just quit. Yeah. All right. So Santiago, tell me all about him. Yeah. So Santiago again, Ramon y Cajal. So mm -hmm. in um, in Spain, born in Spain. The, the Ramon would have been his dad's last name and the Cajal would have been his mom's last name. Gotcha. And it's funny, um, as far as I know, when you have when you this naming convention, you have, you know, dad, you know, and then duh, you know, your mom, basically. Mm -hmm. So usually you're known by the first last name you have, not the second one. But, so but Ramon. Yeah, but yes, but everything about him is Cajal, Cajal this, Cajal that. Interesting. But whatever, it works. Is that because we Americans don't understand what's going on? But even some of his papers were published under Cajal, so I'm... Hmm whatever it's cool. maybe he liked his mom better <laughs> yeah, i don't know <laughs> um but uh but yeah so he was born in uh, in 1852 mm -hmm. in a village called patia in the region of uh, aragon in northeast spain now aragon 
Who's that in Lord of the Rings? <laughs> I think so. Funny you should say that, though, because I was like, yeah, Aragorn, what? He actually looks a great deal like Christopher Lee, who is like the, the mean wizard in Lord of the Rings in the movies. <laughs> so it was funny because I could, when I was looking at pictures of him, I said, man, he really looks like the, the bad wizard in Lord of the Rings. And I, and I called out to my husband, I'm like, hey, what is the mean wizard's name? And he, he was like, what? <laughs> Like, He's like, which wizard in which movie? I, I did say Lord of the Rings. I was like, wait, wh- which one is that? And I think I think he's dead now. And he was like, oh, Christopher Lee. I'm like, thank you. See, I'm glad you just said mean wizard and not a name, because then I would not have gotten it. Like, I need context clues. Yeah. Well, the, and he was also, um, oh damn, I just forgot it. He was in the new Star Wars. Sorry, episodes uh, one, two, and three. Gotcha. He, he the worst episodes. <laughs> yeah. For some reason. Yeah, he was, he was also a bad guy in there. He just looks like a bad guy. Oh. Santiago, I'm not saying he looks like a bad guy. I'm just saying he has that kind of thinner face, uh-huh. um, kind of old man look. Because all the pictures I saw of him, he was super old. Because gotcha. that's... Goatee? Yeah, yeah, like some, some facial hair. Like you would expect a Spaniard to look. For Basically, sure. you're there like you stereotypical yeah. image in your head right now. That's that's what he <laughs> looks like. So so he grew up in, in Spain, and uh, his father was the village surgeon which must have been just a joy in the I, 1850s. I love to think of that on a resume. Just village, the village surgeon. surgeon. I'm the self-appointed village surgeon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that to my resume. I just like cutting people up. <laughs> That's what I... No. For funsies. Yeah. But no, so his, doc, his dad was a doctor and really wanted uh, Santiago to be a doctor as well as, mm. as most doctors want for their children. Or most parents, I just would in say. general. Yeah, I think this is kind of a theme. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but Santiago... Mm-hmm. was it sounds like he was a, a kind of a handful as a kid apparently he got transferred a lot to different schools because of his behavior because he was oh. very rebellious and didn't really respect authority very much <laughs> um troublemaker yeah apparently he was briefly imprisoned when he was 11 Sorry, I can't even say this. Completely normal. For destroying a neighbor's like fence and gate with a homemade cannon. Well, <laughs> they were like, what do we do? So he <laughs> was him in prison. a little bonkers, but you know, <laughs> it's a small town. I'm not sure what the local prison looked like. Maybe it was just a, a, like a, a very serious timeout. Yeah. It was probably like the sheriff's <laughs> living room or something. <laughs> um, and as a teenager, so um, it sounds like his dad went through a period where he was like, maybe you shouldn't be a doctor. And I uh, apprenticed him to a shoemaker and a barber. He was like, here, just... Just do that. Maybe that's a better use. Yeah, give the kid who who made a cannon by himself, give him scissors and put him near people's faces. That sounds like a great solution. Oh, God. Uh, but Santiago wanted to be an artist. Mm. So that was, I guess, how he channeled all of his crazy energies was into art. So he was this brooding artist, perhaps. What kind of art? Like painting? Uh, photography, painting, drawing, oh. everything. Yeah. was and he, and he was. He was a very good artist. And that served him well. Oh, really? Foreshadowing. Ah, arts um, and sciences. But when all was said and done, he did go to medical school. Okay. And I would love to hear more about this. I didn't find a whole lot of details. I'm sure it was just between him and his dad figuring out this. He was like, fine, I'll go. God, <laughs> I don't know. Or he really came around and said, you know, maybe that would be a good a good use of my talent. Who knows? But he eventually went, hmm. graduated in 1873. Uh, immediately after finishing uh, uh, medical school, he was drafted and sent to Cuba 
which was at the time under Spanish rule and was there just for about a year, but got super sick. He got not only malaria, but also tuberculosis. Wow. Super fun times. He really went for gold. Yeah. Island times are great. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, and then so he came back and then started an academic career. Okay. Starting at the University of uh, Zaragoza. He's like, enough field work. Yeah, he's like, I'm <laughs> over this. Uh, and yeah, and it sounds like he didn't ever really want to even practice as a, a doctor, you know? Mm. Maybe he's not a people person. Who knows? But uh, anyway, so he was a professor of anatomy and, uh, you know, saved up his money from his deployment in Cuba and uh, bought a microscope. And so he was looking at muscle fibers and was sketching them out. So he was he was really into anatomy and um, and just really, really fine details. So he was kind of mapping things out. That was what he turned out to be really, really good at. Hmm. The next couple of years, he just started getting more and more promotions, eventually wound up at the University of Madrid. And that was where he was for the rest of his life. Fancy. So, and this is, this is when at the ripe old age of 35, (laughs) things got really, really serious. So um, he, a friend of his, uh, showed him some brain tissue that had been stained in a, in a new way uh-huh. with something called um, the Golgi stain method, which is with silver. Gotcha. And what's different about this kind of stain, so when you're staining things to look at them under a microscope, because a lot of cells are really clear. It's mm-hmm. it, it's really hard to see any details. Especially yeah, the colors you see are artificial. Yeah. So it's like space pictures. It's, yeah, there's... I mean, most cells, there are cells you can get really good looks at just being, you know, natural, but a lot of times you have to stain them with something so you can see more detail. And in his case, because he wanted to draw them, you know, Mm -hmm. he wanted to see everything. So this was a staining method using silver. And what was cool about it was that it didn't stain every single cell in the sample. For some reason, it only stains random ones, but Hmm. the entire cell will be really crystal clear. And then because a lot of the cells around it are not stained, you get a much better image of just single cells one at a time. Because obviously there are a lot of them and they're stacked. Yeah. So it's really hard to kind of see the tree from the forest or whatever that is. Yeah, like sketching one leaf or all the leaves on a tree. Yeah, so that was what was really, really cool about it. And um, yeah, so this Golgi stain was invented by uh, Camille Golgi, who also has one of the cellular organelles named after him, the Golgi apparatus or just Golgi. Yeah, so that guy. So uh, part of researching this was researching how Golgi relates to all of this. But this was a staining method he came up with about 14 years before Santiago first started looking at them. So I'm going to refer to Golgi as Golgi. His name, we, we'd always use first names, uh-huh. but because <laughs> it's we Golgi, we, we, yeah. we've heard of that name. I'm just going to stick with Golgi. Uh, anyway, so uh, Santiago used that method and also slightly perfected it while he was doing all these drawings of cells. And, and, so that, and there's also a version called Cajal's Stain. So Golgi Stain, Cajal Stain. Everybody 2.0. gets named after them. Yes, it's <laughs> wonderful. Um, but anyway, so he was looking at brain tissue Mm -hmm. and so he got a really good look at what we now know of as neurons they weren't called that at the time um and here's how he described them so these nerve cells appeared colored brownish black even to their finest branchlets standing out with unsurpassable clarity upon a transparent yellow background all was sharp as a sketch with chinese ink is what he wrote in his autobiography later about seeing these cells for the first time because huh. it was just so crystal clear and all of the details were so easy to see and he was just blown away. He was so <laughs> excited about it. Um, so he just, you know, was like obsessed with it. What did he say? A fever for publication devoured me. 
<laughs> a true academic. I know. What a nerd. I love this guy. I can't wait to publish this. This is so exciting, you guys. So he's looking at the retina, the cerebellum, and the spinal cord mm. um, samples. And so he sketches them all out. And from this, he kind of has this new idea about the brain. Because right now in history, everything is based on this something called the reticular theory, which is that the brain, basically all your nerve cells are all connected. Like it's one just big mesh. Like okay. there, they are, there aren't individual pieces that they're all one thing. Okay. Like a continuous network where they're yeah all joined. So there's, there's no sections of the brain or anything. Right. And there's, they're not individual, you know, cells. It's all, it's a one oh, big thing. It's like a mush. Kind of, yeah. Mush. And, and maybe that's because when you looked at it with other stains, because it looked so, um, conti- yeah, continuous, they were like, oh. You couldn't see the separate pieces. It's just one big thing. That's yeah. pretty cool. So anyway, that's what everybody thought at the time. Hmm. So he went to a conference in, uh, in Berlin which was the first time he left Spain, by the way, and um, and got and you know presented what he'd found. It said, "I think that these are all individual cells; that they're not all you know connected and continuous, but that they're all individual pieces." And what they later called it was the neuron doctrine. Um, and so a couple of professors there were like, "Oh wow, this is really compelling evidence that we have this wrong. Hmm. That you know that the brain isn't just kind of one big mushy." you know, mesh, you know, network that there are little tiny things inside there. That's pretty cool. And it was Wilhelm uh, Waldeyer, who was the person who, from this information from, from Santiago, later mm-hmm. coined the term neuron and talked about, you know, this n- neuron doctrine and this whole new idea about these individual little tiny cells that all together make up the nervous system working hmm. together. Not that they're all actually connected right. and one thing. He has a great name, by the way. So yeah, he, he's referred to a lot by as Wil, Wilhelm Waldeyer, but his full name is Heinrich Wilhelm Gottfried von Waldeyer Hartz. <laughs> Man, I, yeah. Yeah. Life goals. <laughs> Man, some of these names are just like... <sighs> Anyone out there, just just give your kid 14 names. Yeah. They'll pick the one they want. How many names can you give somebody? You can have I, a, think I think unlimited. you can legally have a second middle name. Do they ever stop you? I don't think so. Someone what at Social Security do? go, what are you doing? You no, know, they don't like come and take your kid away. <laughs> and they're like, no, this is too many names. You're crazy. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, these good names. Um, and fun fact, just like Golgi earlier, mm-hmm. who has the Golgi apparatus and things. So uh, Wilhelm Waldeyer was also the one who named the chromosome. Really? Yeah. Because he was one who looked at chromosomes under a microscope, stained, because chromosomes right. take take up stain very, very well. And so he named him chromosome, because chrome meaning color, like ah. monochromatic and that kind of, you know, Latin root. And then some, which is just kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, because he didn't know what it was. It's like... He, color yeah he wasn't saying oh this is definitely dna that's been wrapped around histone proteins and stacked in a very very specific way he's like look at those colorful things see this is the difference between like biology and astronomy like you discover a new planet you're gonna name it after like a greek god with all this backstory and instead like 
biologist sees something like, oh, it's a, c- a color thing. Yeah. yeah or that cells. sounds good. You know, he looks under the microscope and sees a bunch of cells. He's like, those look like monk's quarters. I'm going to call them cells. <laughs> there, there seems to be maybe a little bit of lack of imagination. I know sometimes <laughs> like, come on, guys. But but I do love when they name species after something like the the Ruth Bader Ginsburg bug they just named right I because forget. it had a collar or something yeah, right I don't know or it was just a badass <laughs> in general whatever um, or there is I think a sponge that's named after SpongeBob really it's like uh, how did they do it it was like SpongeBob see like they they still made it sound latiny uh-huh. by adding like two eyes at the end <laughs> or us yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, i love it <laughs> anyway so so he published um all of this in 1894 so okay. here we are it's close to the turn of the century and we're just figuring out that the brain has individual cells in it good job everyone the best part of science is proving it wrong yeah for sure <laughs> The textura del sistema nerviosa del hombre y los vertebrados. So the, the nervous system of, of human beings and vertebrates. Got it. Because, yeah, he was also looking not just at people's brains, but a lot of animal brains, too, like cats. And, and actually, cats are still a very, uh, a very like, workhorse animal when it comes to... Uh, you know neuron hmm. studies or brain studies they a well, lot of cats sometimes stuff. it's hard to get your hands on a human brain gotta settle for cats is it i don't know well, i think this is i assume <laughs> and also yeah this this probably does actually lead into all of the the really grisly history yeah. about where they sourced bodies right from right no further comment <laughs> No, great, great for robbing later, kids. For later, just great do some robbing. googling. <laughs> Where'd you get this body? I don't want to know. A musical. <laughs> so anyway, he his book contained the foundations of modern neuroanatomy. So he is in some ways the father of neurobiology because hmm. he was kind of the first one to sketch out all these cells. I mean, some of his drawings of, of nerve cells are still used in textbooks because wow. not only were they the first ones, but they're really good. He is a great he's artist. An artist. Science art, you guys. Yeah. That's where it's all, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Unbiased opinion. Totally. Beatrice the Biologist. I have no agenda whatsoever <laughs> about this. Um, but anyway, so he had really detailed descriptions of all these different cells and, and how they're organized in the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. So it's so it wasn't all just your actual cranium, your noggin. He was looking at nerve cells all throughout the, the human body. Mm. And he also was the first person to notice that uh, neurons are polarized, meaning that they just are different at each end. They're not symmetrical. They, they're not, you know, a kind of a uniform structure. Mm. He, he called it the law of dynamic polarization Basically just meaning that one end receives information, which we now call like the den the dendrite end, and one side sends information to the, the you know, the neighboring neurons and yeah. tells them to do something, and that's called the axon. Huh. So he was like, Oh hey, because they do look so different. Have you ever seen a neuron cell? It's like I have, but I can't think of exactly like what it looks like. Sure. So I'll I'll describe it in detail. <laughs> but I mean basically there is kind of the body of the cell. Mm-hmm. And then it has lots of little branches coming off it because that's where it's receiving information from all the neurons around it. Right. And then it has this really long tail. And then at the end of that tail are a couple more little branches. And that's where it's sending information to the next neurons. Got it. And so that's how they're able to all talk to each other because they have lots of places to receive information and a couple hmm. places to send information. So he was the first person to notice that. So now we get into why he this his Nobel Prize. So 1906. Uh-huh. 
I love this. Okay. So he, he gets the Nobel Prize and he shares it with Golgi. Okay. Because, you know, Golgi was the one who right. developed the stain. Kind of made and, this all possible. Yeah, and Golgi was looking at, all, at, at this similar stuff. He was looking at neurons and, and you know, uh, brain tissue as well. And um, they met for the first time when they went to accept their their Nobel, and they both gave their speeches. Mm-hmm. Golgi went first, and he uses his accepted speech to talk about the reticular theory, the thing where everything's connected oh, and neurons no. like aren't a thing. This is what happens when you don't coordinate Nobel speeches, you guys. <laughs> I know. So I'm not. I think they probably again. So they had never met. You know, they they, right. they receive the award together and they meet for the first time when they're accepting it. And uh, yeah, it sounds like Golgi was just this. Nope, I don't buy into this whole newfangled <laughs> idea about these individual neurons that are all talking to each other. It is all continuous. It's just one big mesh of of information and and structures no i don't buy this at all so i'm going to use my time to talk about why it's not true oh god <laughs> or something that's unfortunate yeah. because i believe all nobel speeches are immortalized <sighs> like you can you can google them and find them all poor golgi you know i'm sorry <laughs> sorry buddy <laughs> but anyway so uh super awkward and then you know santiago goes next and then of course uses his time to talk about neurons and the neuron doctrine and and how neurons work and all this other stuff that and he's why been learning the, the guy who just spoke previously yeah, like, is completely wrong how he did that i don't know was golgi booing from the front row i know right <laughs> did he just walk out all upset he, he like dropped the mic or took the mic with him. he should have taken the mic with him yeah if there were mics. Just like a lot of the other stories we've talked about, it, it was kind of a battle of personalities too, because it sounds like Golgi was the very kind of stuffy academic who was very cool, calm, and collected. It was, mm-hmm. well, you know, this has been the theory for quite some time, and I'm not going to just disagree and, and you just turn away from it because one guy says that it's not true. A <laughs> Spaniard. <laughs> yeah. Did we look down on Spaniards? Then? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But in Santiago, again, like think of him from his childhood, he is really passionate and gets re- and really excitable yeah. and like so enthusiastic. He's like, oh my, he probably was like shouting from their tops, you guys! You guys, I just figured it out! He's like the Tim Burton of the science academic world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like wild hair or something. He's like, hey, everybody! I just figured out what neurons are. Anybody? Where are you going? Wait, come back. Why are you like, the buffet will be there after the speech. <laughs> but so, yeah, so not only were they on opposite sides of, of this debate, they were had totally different personalities. So I'm not, this must have been so awkward for everybody who's going there. Because I, I wonder if they had any idea when they were just like, oh, let's just go see some Nobel speeches. It'll be so much fun. What a great way to spend an afternoon. So cultured of us. And then they sit there like, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, that was an awkward cocktail hour following yeah. speeches. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, um, but so that is pretty much why we wanted to talk about him because mm. he is the guy who figured out, who like really looked at neurons for the first time, was able to draw them and make some really you know big conclusions about their function and how their structure is related to their function. Oh, they receive information, they send it out here. Yeah. They you know they have different ends, everything that's really cool. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, him outside of of his neuron network work. Okay, <laughs> he was he, he remained a very you know gifted artist. Uh-huh. So he had, was a really good photographer. There is a Cajal museum in Madrid that to this day has a lot of his works. Really, which is pretty cool. I'm I totally no going to go there someday. Yeah, done, decided. 
Uh, and he also wrote some pretty cool sunny books. I, I must admit, I didn't have time to read all of them. But, but he wrote an autobiography called Recollections of My Life, as well as a book. I love this. Basically, a book of musings called Coffee Chatters, Thoughts, Anecdotes, and Confidences. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. He's all over the map. Uh, yeah, and then um, and the world seen at eighty years, like you know, just another autobiography when he was eighty years old. Um, as and then advice for a young investigator, which was mm. just republished um, by MIT Press about ten years. Wait, yeah, ten or fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with such wisdoms as this, this guy has way with words. I really like whenever there were excerpts. Uh-huh. Um, like I said earlier, what, how excited he was when he saw the neuron. He was like, "Oh my god, I can see it so well." So here here is advice for, from from Santiago, everybody. If a solution fails to appear after all this, and yet we feel success is just around the corner, try resting for a while. Like the early morning frost, this intellectual refreshment withers the parasitic and nasty vegetation that smothers the good seed. Bursting forth at last is the flower of truth. <laughs> so the Spanish guy recommends a siesta. <laughs> This is not a surprise. Take a nap, y'all. <laughs> That's the answer. Watch some Netflix. I can tell you, nap. it is true. <laughs> Have some cookies. I don't know. He sounds like such a cool yeah, guy. Yeah, no. it sounds like a good a good method. Yeah. He also wrote uh, some science fiction stories. Really? Under a pen name that is awesome. Okay. Doctor Bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> I. <laughs> I thought I you were gonna say s- Carlos Dangers. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I was hoping for Carlos. Pedro. I love it, but seriously, like Doctor Bacteria, come on, man, you can do better. But it, I, whatever, I love it. I, I cracked up. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's called. Um, <clears throat> it sounds like it's just a, you know vacation stories, five science fiction uh, tales, published in 1905. Hmm. So this was just before he got his Nobel. So he was just bored. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I already did all the things. And I took a nap. And what do I do now? Yeah. Dr. Bacteria. Um, <laughs> That's a good name for a kid. Yeah, you FYI, can. If you want something short and to the point, Dr. Bacteria is totally. a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you can get it on Amazon, these science fiction stories. There are two Amazon reviews for it. <laughs> One of them was like, yes, thank you. Exactly as described. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you mean it's a book with pages? <laughs> okay. <What>? It's unexpected. <laughs> Whatever. And the other one was <clears throat> very critical oh. of Santiago's writing. Okay, a hater. Yes, this person was very upset that it was merely fiction stories that star scientists. What? Boo, this person said. <laughs> no, seriously. This this review cracked me up. It was so it was so critical and it it's it said and I didn't fact check this, but it said that this person had heard that he had written other uh, science fiction short stories that mm-hmm. had been lost in a fire. And after reading this one, he's not sure that that's such a loss. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just assuming it's a dude. I don't know why Burn. it's unfair. I know. It's like, <laughs> hmm. Um, maybe you should spend less time. That person should take a Criticizing nap instead of writing Amazon book reviews. I know. <laughs> oh man. I mean, at least Dr. Bacteria was putting himself out there. 
Yeah, seriously. But, and review, like reviews crack me up so much. What I mean, I love having Amazon reviews or reviews on any product, right. but I love when you can just sense the ones that are like, this is actually just your deal. Like something yeah. might be wrong. With <laughs> like, especially when I'm, I'm looking at a product and it looks like it's just totally great. And there's, you know, a zillion five-star reviews and there's one one-star review that's like, it didn't work. It's broken. I'm like, actually, I think you're just dumb. Yeah. Did you sit on it on yeah, accident? You, I think you just broke it, dude. Well, like, every once in a while I see a review that is so terrible like for a movie for example and i'm like well now i am convinced like there were a bunch of lukewarm reviews and then there's a terrible one right i'm watching this movie right or the review that you've told me about of a recipe where it was like for a chocolate cake that was like ugh, it's too chocolatey yeah. and you're like oh that's how i found the best how... chocolate recipe ever clearly this is for me that's yeah. Why. yeah they were like there is this is good, but I think there was just too much chocolate in it. It was too chocolatey. And I was like, bam, got it. Found it. Yeah. My favorite Yelp review of all time was someone who was complaining about the line to get into a restaurant. So they just gave it one it star. It must be terrible. Yeah. They gave it one star and said, oh, it was a this many minute wait to get a table. So we just went somewhere else. Um, why are you reviewing the restaurant you didn't go to? <laughs> Well, you know, no. they clearly are not a New Yorker. <laughs> I don't know. It was very strange. But anyway, so so that is that is our friend Santiago. I like it. I'm going like to have to look up these. Five science fiction tales. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why it's called vacation stories. I mean, did he write them on vacation or maybe they're for your vacation? Like some beach, beach reading? I have no idea. I'm very confused. Interesting. But he is... A true renaissance man. Yeah. He he sketches really cool neurons. He's a great photographer. He likes blowing things up with homemade cannons. <laughs> and he writes science fiction. Did did he have children or oh, family yeah. or anything? Oh, sure. Yeah. You want to know about that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like, did he pass on any of Actually, these yes, he wonderful did. He, he married um, very soon after getting his uh, medical degree. He married Silveria. Fanyanas? Wait, is that Fanyanas? Yes, Fanyanas Garcia. <laughs> Please help us Spanish-speaking And audience. Well, because there were so many, there were two ends, and I was like, wait, did I invert those? Yeah, Silveria, Fanyanas Garcia. Uh, he had seven kids, oh, five of man. which survived. Woo! Yeah. Again, this is a different you time. You always see the, the phrase surviving children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so five of them survived childhood. Gotcha. So they were hardy. That's good. Yeah. I mean, hopefully... Their deaths weren't canon related. I don't know. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to shoot this baby out of the canon. Is that, cool? is that cool? What? Okay. The outside. Sorry about the fence. So yeah. So seven kids. He, he spent time doing other things too. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> yep. Yep. So Santiago, we would totally go to brunch with him. Absolutely. He, he sounds like a blast. He sounds awesome. I'm looking at a picture of Christopher Lee right now. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So he, he was, is it Count Dooku? From? From Star Wars, too. Oh. Wait, is it Count? I don't remember any of them, honestly. <laughs> I really don't. It's terrible. Yeah, well, especially even... the first one. I mean, sorry, the, the prequels. Yeah. I have zero concept of what <laughs> It took me a on. while to realize that there were two scraggly, bearded-looking white guys in Lord of the Rings that were two separate people. Like, I thought it was <laughs> Aragon and, 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 and Florflum or whatever. They were the same people. Is that his name, Florflum? <laughs> uh, when I saw the first Lord of the Rings, the theater was so cold uh, that I was shivering. And so I 
and 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 yeah and all the all the battle scenes were happening and i was just really i was just so cold i just wanted it to be over so i could get out of the theater yeah so i must admit i had a terrible experience and wasn't able to entirely focus but yes i did get i did get all the just like long-haired white guys confused a couple of times i'm like wait what is he doing there i thought he was wait what you could have died. That movie is like four hours long and you're like going into hypothermia. You know, maybe this is why I have such an aversion to watching long movies. Yeah. Just, I still haven't seen Interstellar. I, I mean, just never feel like watching it. So I probably should just watch it in two pieces. Matthew McConaughey is an astronaut. I don't know how you can go wrong. I don't really like Matthew McConaughey. No, I don't either. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I don't I'm, have any reason. I approve of shooting him into space. Does he have like a really strong Texan accent in the movie? Like, I, like I believe in, so. Just is that his real life? I, I don't is know. Is that how he talks is in real he life? from California? I have is no he, idea. Oh my God. I don't even know anymore. We're, we're just devolving into... Anyway, Christopher Lee. Very good looking, like, old man, like, just chiseled, you know, yeah. face. Looks that is kind what of Santiago evil. looked like. Yeah. So he, yeah. he looked like an extra from Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. Or a bad wizard. Yeah. Totally. Which he, is kind of what you would expect. Just picture him next to Darth Vader. And oh that is what he, he looks like. He could have become a supervillain. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he made a cannon at age 11. Oh like, my God. We really missed out on like a supervillainy career here. You are right. Instead, he became the father of neuroscience. How boring. <laughs> what did we do? Won a Nobel Prize. Something went Come wrong. <laughs> Oops. But See, no, definitely have him over for brunch. Yeah. It would be amazing. Yeah. And also why you should encourage your little supervillain children to enter the sciences. Yeah. And become good people. Yeah. So they don't become villains. And also, you know, if you have a kid who's really into art and photography, don't rule out that they could win a Nobel Prize for neuroscience. Yeah. I mean, totally it's just doable. like basically a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if we invite him to brunch, he'll probably Instagram all of, all of our food. <laughs> oh, my so, God. He would be so into Instagram. Yeah, he would. This is great. He would also write great Amazon book reviews, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> probably better than that guy that didn't like his book. <laughs> I love this idea. Yeah, the there's an Amazon review of of my book, What's in Your Jeans, uh-huh. that complains about all the jokes I made. It was like Miss McKissick <laughs> just made way too many jokes. I really didn't want a book that was it like started this. Started out with a joke in the title, but all the other jokes were completely it unexpected. Was, it was really weird. I don't know why she kept doing it. I was like, well, I've been meaning to tell you, you're too funny. It's kind of like when you get a, a cat and then you write an Amazon review about why it's not a dog. <laughs> Like, this cat is nothing like a dog. I don't it, it like it. It doesn't fetch. I don't understand. It poops in a box. <laughs> I don't get it. Terrible. Get it Terrible away from dog. me. <laughs> Basically, yes. So, what are we going to talk about next? Do we know? Yeah. Next, we're going to talk about Grace Hopper. Oh my gosh. There's someone I've heard of. Yeah. So, so it sounds vaguely familiar. Don't quite know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to learn all about it. Yeah, I definitely don't know all the details. Yeah. But... I, I, I can picture her in my mind. And you know, to keep up with all of the details, you can also sign up for our newsletter, which is oh on our website. Oh my gosh, that's right. At sciencebrunch.org, you can sign up for our newsletter. Yeah. Or you can follow on Twitter or Facebook or all of the things. Yeah, I would say especially Twitter because... Yeah, there's more like up-to-the-minute updates on that. Totally. You'll find out everything that's going on and just and some cool science stuff that's just going on that particular day, too. Yeah. It's not all about... It's not all about us. I mean, most things are. <laughs> so thanks so much for listening. Remember to subscribe in your podcast listener app of choice. And we will see you next time. <laughs> right? <laughs> we will hear you. No, we won't hear you. No. And you can hear us next time. Right here on Science Brunch. <laughs>
god, it's like you're a professional or something. 